0: could you start off by telling me a bit about um your journey into meditation and spirituality how did this all begin
1: yeah of course dude so uh i guess i've always been into like the idea of self improvement self development like ever since i was a kid i was always playing sports wanted to get better at sports wanted to get good grades in school uh just always wanted to be better in a way and in 2020, December of 2020, I finished up my um, first semester of junior year at the college and I flew to Arizona where my brother was living at the time. And my mom had taken a road trip from um, East Coast, North Carolina, uh, all the way to Arizona to visit him. And I flew out there and then me and her took a road trip back to North Carolina. And on that road trip back, she had uh, booked us to do a guided meditation at a Kadampa Buddhist temple in Arizona. And I had never been exposed to meditation or really any spiritual concepts before. But my mom had been on a bit of like a healing journey before that. So uh, she thought it would be cool. And I was pretty open-minded to it. So we did a guided meditation there. And the message uh, and the meditation both resonated with me. So they talked about Kadampa Buddhism and how the goal is for world peace, but you can't accomplish world peace without inner peace first. So it's like, start with peace within yourself and then potentially a peaceful family, peaceful neighborhood, peaceful state, so on and so forth. Um, And then we did a guided meditation. And after the meditation, I just remember being so full of uh, positive, pleasant emotions, happiness, love, and everything he was talking about just made a lot of sense. So I was like, there's something to this. Uh, I would like to continue doing it. So three weeks later, I headed off to Hong Kong to study abroad for a semester. And my mom packed a couple books with me, like The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz and um, The Mastery of Love by the same author. And those were the first two books that I read that kind of got me into this like spirituality, healing uh, kind of process and journey. And so the first three or four months that I was in Hong Kong, I read those books. I was meditating maybe 15 minutes a day, three times a week, and was just doing like guided meditations on YouTube about like and all this other stuff. I didn't really know anything about meditation other than I enjoyed doing it at the Buddhist temple and I wanted to explore it more. But then in April of 2021, when I was in Hong Kong, I had, um, an out-of-body experience that if I had to guess would be similar to like Daniel Ingram's uh Arising and Passing from the theravada poor path model that he uses. But I was with a couple of friends. We were actually, it was on 420. We were smoking like a joint together. And that's probably we why. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was interesting though, because like I had gotten high a number of times before and never experienced anything close to that. Um, and everybody else was smoking the same stuff and they were completely fine. And honestly, I, I think I had only taken maybe two or three puffs of the joint beforehand. Um,
0: right.
1: And there was a guy there that I had met that night. And he actually, a couple hours before that, we had watched a Frank Yang video. So that was the first time I'd ever heard about or watched Frank Yang, which was interesting. Uh, but he was really into like the metaphysical aspect of spirituality. Uh, the fact that there is no self, abiding in non-dual awareness. And that was the first time i had ever been exposed to any of those concepts. And how many years
0: ago, how many years ago was this?
1: this was twenty twenty one so about ah, two years right ago. right yeah yeah, yeah, and uh, and yeah, he was describing a similar experience that he had where there was like no self, so on and so forth, and my body just kind of like evaporated in that moment. I closed my eyes and just listened to what he said, and it was really strange. I started throwing up after that, actually, into the sink of like my friend's bathroom. They left. I was like, some weird stuff is happening to me, but I'll be good. It's like, I know it's something spiritual. Um, But for the next two hours on and off, I was like conscious and then completely unconscious. And in those moments of unconsciousness, it was like very clear that there was no mind or no body associated with that experience or whatever you want to call it. And uh, once I came back after that two hours of on and off, it was just very clear that like, whatever I was, was not the mind or the body. And that this physical reality was not everything there was to experience. It, it felt like this was just fake, like a video game um, that that had no meaning. And that was completely pointless. And that wasn't even real, uh, ultimately. And uh, that kind of really threw me down a, a, a bit of a depression, honestly, because everything i had ever thought life was about and all the things i had ever identified with previously just got completely deconstructed in an instant. So I like was afraid to meditate for a couple of weeks. I didn't really talk to anybody. I just stayed in my room and didn't do anything. Um, And then slowly I came out of that and I was like, okay, life is way more interesting than I thought it was. I want to figure this out. So I guess that awakened the, the quote unquote speaker or seeker within me. And ever since then, I've just been, um, on and off meditating like an hour a day frequently consistently um and and I guess my my journey has progressed from there feel free to ask any more questions before I move on
0: it's fascinating um that arising and passing away event um sounds a bit similar to two experiences I've had so the first one was um a few years ago where I was at a festival a burning man festival and uh I was just thinking what am I doing here like I'm in the middle of a paddock. There are just like tents and people playing music and people like um, dancing like crazy. And I was looking at this bonfire, a massive bonfire. And I was just like, I started to get more and more confused about like, what is this? What is this thing I'm experiencing? Um, what am I doing here? And um, those thoughts led to like a sudden shift where it's like, boom, everything p- kind of popped out and i had this like 360 kind of degree awareness and i had that for a little bit and i kind of lost sense of um myself in the sense i was speaking to a friend and it just felt like um, somebody was speaking but there was no speaker and that actually really freaked me out like the whole for the next uh few hours i just laid down like please stop please stop like (laughs) because i was not prepared for that um Right. Then I had another experience, um, sometime later, similar type of thing, um, where I was um just eating food and looking at the food, and the same kind of thing happened. It just expanded. I had a bit of a, bit of a dark night, um, but interestingly, uh, that hasn't happened since. Everything's slowly moving towards that um non dual type of no self experience. Uh, like right now, I feel um the less of a solid sense of self as I speak compared to for example a few years ago um and obviously it's hard really hard to compare the experiences um but it feels like more gradual and slow now um but yeah that was really interesting you spoke about that arising and passing um event I don't think what I experienced was the same um could you tell me a bit about what Um, the arising and passing event entails um, what is it sort of classically defined as if you know or um, if you had any sort of um, expanded 360 type awareness or if it was more just um, based on your sense of self that sort of dissolved in those moments
1: yeah um So as it pertains to the the AMP or the arising and passing away event, basically everything I know comes from Daniel Ingram, Frank, and Kenneth Folk. So uh, they describe, I mean, Frank, not as much uh, through his videos, but through Kenneth Folk's book and Daniel Ingram's book especially, they give a really thorough explanation of not only the arising and passing, but all stages of insight in uh, the progress of insight. So if anybody's curious in that, a, a more detailed explanation, those guys definitely... Uh, we'll articulate it better than I can. But from my understanding, uh, what the A&P is, is it's a period of time, actually. So there, there's the A&P period, and then there's the arising and passing away of it that happens. So typically, uh, when somebody's in the A&P period, their meditations are very easy, possibly filled with a lot of visuals. Uh, people get excited to sit. They're very energetic, happy. Uh, it's common for people to like... Uh, feel a lot of sexual energy and want to have a lot of sex when they're going through this period. Uh, Just a very energetic, exciting, happy time in people's lives uh, from what I understand at least. And leading up to the actual arising and passing event that I described, that's what was going on with me as well in Hong Kong. Like I was reading these books, I was getting exposed to a lot of these spiritual concepts um, and, and the world just felt so vibrant and beautiful in a lot of ways. But um, and and there was like a huge excitement about the idea of meditation and practicing it, and and the potential that it could uh, bring me as an individual, so to speak. And then for the actual event, um, what was interesting is there was actually no physical ground at all. So awareness was like very centerless, boundless, infinite, you could say. Um, but. There was no awareness of what was going on in this more like physical space so to speak it felt like i was just not even i it just felt like there was a completely different realm of existence so to speak that was happening um and and i remember through that experience as well there was very clear vivid memories but they weren't memories like i saw myself at 18 years old playing a basketball game but There was some sort of knowing that um, it wasn't a memory, but it was happening in that moment. And so, this idea of like past and future all simultaneously happening at once, um, and not necessarily the memory of those things, was like some sort of insight or, or, or knowing that came out of it. But honestly, reflecting on it now, it just feels like that was conditioning, dissolving. There's really no point in looking deeper into it or looking at like past life experiences or anything like that. That's just all story. Um, but generally for people, the actual arising and passing event can look very different. Sometimes for people, they don't even notice that it happens. Other times it's very extreme, I guess, like in my case, if that's what it was. But typically for most people, the, based off of Kenneth and Daniel's descriptions, it seems to be a very uh, profound event filled with a lot of visuals or uh, almost like a psychedelic trip in a lot of ways. Uh, but it. it awakens this seeker within people there's a very clear understanding or knowing that there's a lot more to things than they thought there was um and i guess i describe it as almost like a glimpse of truth so to speak um so so that would be my explanation of what it is but uh like i said daniel and kenneth probably do a better job of explaining that than i would
0: you spoke of conditionings and how you know that that thing is just conditionings, even past lives could be just conditionings. you know we don't know if you've had a past life or not, things like that um, and that's something i, I I've thought about a lot actually, because the more extreme meditation or non dual teachers just say, "You know, keep dissolving, dissolve, dissolve." and everything that kind of arises is just a condition. Um, but then you might have somebody else. Um, for example, um, a psychic could um, gain some knowledge about certain things, right? If somebody has some sort of psychic potential or cities, um, they're able to um, have some intuition or some knowledge about something or somebody or some happening or some time. Now, a lot of these for example psychic intuitions and things like that often they are quite um, accurate um, or I've, at least i've i've seen or heard of stories where they've been quite accurate um, so you could argue for example are those conditionings or are those things that we have access to but on the path to enlightenment or the path this particular path Um, it's important to not see those things and view them as conditionings when there might be a truth to that. Um, What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. um, I mean, even when you deconstruct conditionings at the end of the day, it's like, what is, what even is a conditioning? Uh, There's just what's here in in many instances. So if there appears to be somebody who can predict things about the future, have accurate statements about things that, that's whatever appears Uh, i guess i just don't really put too much thought or look too deep into any of those things anymore it just is what it is and cool if it happens cool if it doesn't happen whatever uh there's just what's here
0: yeah right but then so linguist so you can say it's just what what's here right um yeah this leads to another um Another um, I guess perspective or um another thought I had, which is linguistically, if you want to be truly accurate about anything, you can't really be accurate for and right. this is a trap I was falling into where even describing things as you start to unravel as you start to inspect um you want to just naturally, as being an engineer, you want to be you know accurate in your communication. And so, mm-hmm. for example, really simple example. Instead of saying "I am angry," you could you could um and um who's it? Eckhart Tolle says this. He recommends this, you say, uh, anger is arising in me. Super simple example. Yeah. But then you could keep taking that to the more extreme, right? Uh, you know the and it gets to the point. That's just a simple example, but there's other areas where uh. It becomes even harder to talk about your experience or anything because it's just this is what's happening this is what is this is you yeah. know it's it's a bit yeah. of a, a bit of a trap so um i wanted to know your thoughts on that and um yeah letting go of requiring that accuracy and communication i know frank isn't very accurate a lot of the time um, and some people are more accurate Um, But actually, in the desire to be very accurate, I think it can be a bit of a pitfall as well.
1: Yeah, I think uh, it's fun to try to articulate experiences and tell things about the the story that's happened uh, within the character and whatnot. but it's very commonly known that like whatever this state is that people are searching for, that people are able to abide in it is just incomprehensible to the mind. You can't explain it. You can't articulate it. You can't talk about it. Um, but you can try your hardest to come as close as possible through the symbols of words, so to speak. And I think that's a lot of fun. But um, honestly, like I'm just, I'm not there yet. Like I can only describe what I quote unquote experience and what I experience is pretty normal. It's just like a center point of consciousness behind the eyes of this character of Joe. And I've had experiences like that arising and passing that make me understand or allow me to understand that um, awareness doesn't always present itself in the way that it is right now, so to speak. It can present itself in a number of ways or whatever you want to call it. But I do think at some point in time, uh it can be beneficial to use certain words certain analogies be as specific as possible when talking to certain people that are on this path but a lot of times it can also interfere with your ability to communicate regularly with people who don't really care about spirituality so for a long time i was really caught up in the way in which i was speaking because the words that i use impact my mind and the way that my consciousness is developing and all of this stuff that doesn't really matter Um, So before I would like not really use the word I because there is this conceptual understanding that there is no I, but then that just makes it hard to talk to people. Like I use such normal language now. I am angry. I feel this way. I feel that way. And I I think it's like the ability to use this language or communicate in whatever way you want to communicate, but with a, a clear knowing or perception or understanding that from the absolute, that's not necessarily the way that things are or an understanding that, I can sit here and talk to you and use the word I over and over and over again. But when I sit down and try to find this I, the sense of self, no matter how hard I try to look for it, I can't find it. Um, and obviously, that's a paradoxical thing to say, because it's implying that I'm looking for it. But um, that I that's trying to look, trying to find that and trying to find that, it's just never there. So uh, I, I think words and having conversations like this are a lot of fun. But uh, that's just what it is. Like this conversation is no more or less spiritual than if somebody were watching a YouTube video about how to make a burger. You know, it's it's the same <laughs> representation <laughs> of the thing, yeah. of the same thing,
0: you know. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm misimagining <laughs> a video of somebody making a burger. Sorry, sorry guys, <laughs> go go click off this video right now and watch a video a video of somebody making a burger um i uh, yeah i totally agree of the the language thing it's it's a it's a it's a um a bit of a trapping right to think um that you have to try to change your language when the the key is to see through the illusion of the language in the first place because you're never going to be able to be perfect about it um you're never going to uh speak in the correct way and so it's just language it's just different words yeah. it doesn't really matter yeah it matters how you perceive it
1: yeah 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 and and with that as well um I, it's almost a bit necessary well depending on the person some people reach this state um of like abiding a non-dual awareness without being ever exposed to any of the concepts like Eckhart just kind of fell asleep one night and then woke up the next morning and there he was some people some people are never exposed to these things so by any means the concepts are not necessary for for some people but in my own journey and I think in a lot of people's journeys um, it's nice to dive in and fully uh, exhaust that part of the character that like oh, I'm going to read this book and read another book and read another book and understand this map and go through it this way um, and really explore that side of things. if That's uh, what somebody's curious about. And through exploring it and almost getting so attached to the concepts and so identified with intellectualization, the more that you read and the more that that Uh, part of your ego grows uh, it it makes it then very obvious that that's all it is it's just a derivative of ego and that these words are simply words no different than any other words and and it makes it easier to pierce through so for, for me I guess like I was seeking really hard. I read Daniel Ingram's book cover to cover, and I read many books before that. But after reading Daniel's book, I was like, okay, this is all I think I'll ever need to know about this, aside from maybe technique-specific thing, because I think reading about techniques is a little bit different. But um, in terms of knowledge about the path and enlightenment, I mean, Daniel's so thorough in the way that he writes his book uh, that it's hard to find a more, I guess, dense description of all of these things, but. I read it and then I was so attached to all of those concepts but then once I deconstructed them or like while I'm still in the process of deconstructing a lot of those concepts it's like there's no more concepts to dissolve after that that's as far as you can go into this realm of like spirituality and awakening that's about as thick as it goes as reading mctv cover to cover in a lot of ways so exhausting that can be good because once you've exhausted it you're done with it and you can move on to it dissolving other parts of the character so
0: to speak right right that's pretty interesting what are your thoughts on chakras chakra meditation is that something you've had experience with shadow work uh letting go anything like that or have you been primarily focused on um the non-dual um teachings
1: uh Yeah, it's interesting. So when I started meditating, I would do some like chakra-oriented meditations or 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 things of that nature. And I didn't really think anything of them. I used to think like very literally they they were these like energy centers in our body that are associated with colors and all of these other things. And maybe there's some validity to that. I don't know. What I make of it now um, is that. I guess if you think of like the typical kundalini awakening uh, when I had that AMP experience and other times when I've been meditating, I do feel some sort of energy moving up from like the base of my spine all the way up into my head. So there and and when I had that AMP as well, I felt like everything was projecting out of this area right here, like um, that uh, area. Like yeah like there's this like physical space right here and then the third eye opens and it's like a whole different reality comes up about it that like transcends this one almost and then when that experience ended it felt like everything that was not here physically like collapsed back into right here so i think that um you know if so many people acknowledge the existence of these chakras there's some sort of relevance to energy that flows through the body in a particular way and how you can feel it and how that manifests differently but again it is something that is very easy to attach yourself to and get like super yeah. nitty-gritty about you think that you're like activating all these like special things in your body and whatnot but yeah I'm, I'm sure it's like with anything else it's not that they're completely ridiculous and awful and terrible but also not that they mean absolutely nothing uh or or that they are absolutely everything it's probably somewhere in the middle Mm. of it so and i think it's just so dependent on like what people get into in their journey with things like if somebody gets into it and they feel a lot of energy there then they're they're actually feeling within the body which is probably the most challenging thing for a lot of people to do to get ahead and start really feeling what's going on within the body so to speak um and whatever method that somebody can use or that somebody feels drawn to in order to really start feeling and perceiving bodily sensations is probably good but eventually i guess it all has to be deconstructed
0: yeah for sure yeah i've I've gone back and forth on the whole um doing chakra meditations um so i used to do quite a bit and then i got into more just vipassana body scanning actually a fair bit of vipassana um and a lot of like site-based type of things, and I did notice that my visuals were improving. So it was like, as Frank uh, likes to describe, going from like 480p to 720 to 1080. So like, I actually, yeah. was like, wow, like everything's like, like, looking like so crazy. Looks like really um, like I'm tripping or something, right? Um, yeah. But then I noticed that, um, and this is a. Th- And I don't know because I'm not an expert here, but um, my thought is that a lot of these techniques that people recommend are more higher chakra techniques, focusing on awareness, focusing on visual expansion, things like that. So they really open up this area, Um, even the crown as well, your connection. But it can make you feel quite ungrounded if you don't have a good foundation, if you're root for example if you still have a lot of fear there if you if you still have for example self esteem issues or things like that in your lower chakras and so um i think it can start to make people feel like they're floating around Uh, and i've had that happen to me but then you don't feel that grounding to reality or just that grounding in your body or even those energy centers uh below don't feel as uh strong you don't feel um, stable and then you don't have that desire to for example uh, do that do anything really because you you're just like floating up here uh, and yeah. so I guess a concern of mine I have is um, for, for people if, if they're going too far down just one particular technique or one particular thing that's really opening up that um, visual space is that it might lead them um, to be quite ungrounded uh yeah, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I think Frank has a really good take on this. Like if you lean too far into form or formlessness or form and emptiness, either one of those sides of the duality, then it's going to cause some sort of suffering. So um, for example, you could take like a vipassana technique and a do-nothing technique and perceive vipassana more as like a contraction grounded type of practice and uh, do nothing is more of an expanded awareness kind of practice and some people may naturally be drawn towards do nothing initially and um they could take that technique all the way to the end just like you could take the pasana all the way to the end but if you want to get there as quick as possible or have like the most uh aesthetic mental physique so to speak it probably requires some sort of both types of practice uh-huh. um And if you're stronger in one, you may want to practice the other more often uh, to create that balance, so to speak. But I think a lot of people, they get stuck in, okay, I'm really expanded and I'm going through this like formlessness and everything is groundless, but you don't have the ground to concentrate and hold that formlessness or that expanded awareness there. So you never maintain it, so to speak. And then some people get really good at having like, a clear dissection of their own sensate experience and they can concentrate super well but they can't expand so they're still kind of stuck in this contracted state of being so i i think that like ultimately the duality has to be bridged to simultaneously see ground and groundlessness or form and formlessness but if you're abiding too far in either of those things then um it it can serve as an obstacle or a roadblock and that's for every individual to kind of feel out for themselves
0: mm, yeah for sure um have there been any pitfalls or delusions that you've fallen into during your meditation path
1: yeah plenty do i mean like multiple times uh jeez i i can't even like start to talk about it or think about all the delusions and whatnot i mean i guess i'm still in one right if i'm not there yeah. I'm not abiding it, or <laughs> if there's still a secret like that's all just a big delusion um, <laughs> so i more specifically what do you mean by that like what could there be an example from like your journey for example that, that you'd be able to share
0: ah uh, well i guess i guess for example you might think oh, i'm so close i'm so close i'm almost there you know for example early this year I was convinced for a couple of days that I was going to hit stream entry this year because, um, my visual capacity was expanding so much. I was like, whoa, oh my God, oh my God. Um, then I realized, oh, that's just like a delusion. That's just something that's, uh, arisen. Like, yeah. I don't know what's going to happen. Say,
1: yeah. Similarly to that. Um, I, I I made a video about this. I, like, thought that I attained stream entry one day. Yeah. I, like, was confused that I possibly would have been able to. Just because a lot of weird stuff that can happen during meditation. Like, I closed my eyes that day. I got a lot of, like, really intense visuals. And then when I, like, got out of the meditation, it felt like everything was so expansive. And I, like, picked up my phone and was looking at it. And it just felt like everything was contracting when I was on my phone and it just didn't feel good. So I like threw my phone aside, went down and started meditating again, just because that's what felt good. And then kind of like repeated the same cycle where it, it was almost like a really blissful experience and then a bit of sadness. And then there was this peace and it was almost like this, this visual tunnel opened up. There was like a merging with the tunnel, so to speak. Um, and then I like opened my eyes again and I was like, it, it's, Still felt very expanded very uh not contracted so to speak and that um, feeling kind of carried on for the next day or two so i was like did i hit stream entry like is this it because uh, a lot of authors daniel and kenneth both describe how somebody can hit stream entry and it can be very subtle they don't even realize that they hit it
0: really so, no way
1: so yeah, how do you know yeah. that's the question dude yeah like sometimes have we you know, hit
0: stream entry already
1: who knows like that's what <laughs> the first time i ever talked to frank he was actually telling me that um that amp experience i described could have actually been a stream entry experience but he said no, he stopped diagnosing no. people but i would say that um daniel's framework for if you're in stream entry or not is quite strict and it's like uh the main Factor or determinate determinant uh, as to whether somebody's hit it or not is if they can cycle through all the insight stages at will. So, like, uh, I think that's technically insight stage seventeen, uh, which is like re- revisiting each of the insight stages. So, if through your meditation you can sit down and cycle through all the insight stages over and over and over again, and then repeat a cessation, then that's what Daniel would say: like you've entered the stream for sure. Okay. Um, What's an insight again, stage? Okay, so are you familiar with like Mahasi progress Progressive Insight?
0: No, I've actually tried to keep away from all the intellecti- mm. intellectualizations, like as much as possible. I've just pretty much watched, um, um, S- simply Always Awake. You might know that okay. YouTube channel, um, yeah, and really Frank and <laughs> yeah, just like for just seeing what I need in the moment, yeah
1: okay got you so like yeah i was so attached to this map for so long so i i say this all with a grain of salt i mean even just the idea of like stream entry right that's also just another concept enlightenment's a concept all of this stuff is just concepts um but i guess if it is so widely acknowledged there may or may not be the, a good bit of truth to it um so who knows but how i would describe the insight stages is um, Similar to how Kenneth Folk describes it in his book. And he basically says that, like, humans can biologically predict how they're going to evolve uh, at a very simple level. So every human is going to be a baby, and then a toddler, and then an adolescent, and then an adult. And how that physically manifests and the timeframes in which it manifests is going to be radically different from person to person. Um, But that is the general progression that somebody goes through physically as a human being. And naturally the mind for each human uh, because we are still all human beings is going to progress similarly um, from person to person as well but the map is not the territory it's going to look and manifest very very differently but throughout this uh, spectrum of realization or on the journey of realization there are some predictable patterns so there was a burmese monk named mahasi saidao and he Created this progress of insight, which is basically uh, a predictor for how the mind develops as somebody uh, continues down this path of enlightenment or realization. So each of these insight stages. Well, actually, let me back up a little bit. So the Buddha initially, from the Theravada tradition, had three main teachings. So there's morality, concentration, and insight. Morality is like how you show up in this world physically. um, Are you like loving? to other people, are you taking care of yourself, all of these things, right? Um, Concentration is is simply just concentration, your ability to, um, I guess, go through like the jhanas and and, like the states with that um, and just hold single-pointed concentration on an object. Um, And there's different, there's like a chicken herding analogy to different levels of concentration and that's a whole other rabbit hole. But then the third level is insight and so, insight, the more insights you have, the more wise you are, and that's the one of the three trainings that you can maximize. So once you've developed, gained all the insights, that's when you've technically hit enlightenment or a fourth path. And stream entry is technically considered first path here. So it's the Theravata four-path model, and it, it walks through the progress of insight. And uh, I just define an insight as like a deeply fundamental intuitive knowing about the nature of phenomena, so to speak. And you gain insights by realizing what are called the three characteristics. So, the first characteristic is impermanence, understanding that everything is uh, completely impermanent. It's a constant shape shifting moment to moment to um, moment. At, at a very, uh, I guess you need a, a refined and strong mind to be able to see clearly because it's happening so quickly that everything is rising and passing simultaneously. Um, And then the second one is like, it's called dukkha, which is like, I don't know if I can pronounce that right, but it's like dissatisfactoriness or suffering, right? So like, because we assign permanence to certain things, we depend on them or think that they can be like satisfying, but simply from the perspective that everything is like arising and passing so quickly, there's no solidity to anything. So you can't grasp onto that solidity for some sort of fulfillment of sorts. Um, and then the third of the three characteristics is anatta or no self. So, like, kind of everything kind of bridges off of impermanence. Um, so, how can you look at this sense of self, this character, and then derive some sort of like fulfillment or satisfaction out of it if from the ultimate level of impermanence, the, the character doesn't exist? Um, so, it's basically people solidifying things um, it, mentally through their perception. When in reality, nothing is permanent and nothing is solid and everything is empty. So the more that you realize those three characteristics, the more insights or fundamental knowings about the nature of phenomena you acquire. And typically people develop certain insights as time passes along these insight stages, right? And so I think the first one is mind and body. So one of the first insights fundamentally that people can start to understand is that the mind and body are separate things. So there's a sensation on the body. Um, and that is followed by a mental impression within the mind. So, somebody hits my leg, and I then perceive that as painful. The sensation on the leg is completely separate from the mental perception of that sensation. So, that's an example of an insight once you fundamentally understand that. Um, and so, you go through each of these insight stages. Um, for example, the dark night, the dukkha I think it's called, are like insight stages six through 10, I want to say. So the fourth one is the, uh, the arising and passing fifth one is called dissolution. And then six through 10 are like the dark night insight stages, so to speak. Um, and yeah, as you progress and realize these different insights as time passes, you eventually get to, um, insight stage 16, which is a cessation, um, or fruition. And that's when you hit stream entry uh, is on that 16th insight stage. And so when you do that, that's called hitting first path, which is the same thing as stream entry. And then the insight stages start over again. So it's almost as if like you have the cessation, your field of awareness starts to expand, you get that 360 vision or whatever you want to call it. And then it's like now you're restarting, but from the perspective of somebody that identifies as more than just the character. And so you just go through that process four different times. And then once you hit fourth path, that's seen as like full enlightenment or R at ship or whatever you want to call it.
0: Right. Um, and so when again, you know that... <laughs> Okay. So
1: I was just going to say like the map is not the territory. It's yeah. so easy to get so stuck in all of this, um, especially pre-stream entry, like post-stream entry, apparently the practice just kind of happens on itself. Like you're in the stream. So Kenneth Folk basically says like he recommends a structured regimented meditation routine until you hit that stream entry and then kind of see where you go from there. But I can't emphasize enough how attached conceptually people get to the maps and to experiences and to the idea of progress and all of these things. So it's nice to be aware of, but um, it can serve as a real hindrance to a lot of people along this path. And I think that was actually one of the pitfalls that I ran into as well
0: for sure eh? it's really interesting to me that you've got all these Buddhist traditions and you've got so many of them and many of them are quite dogmatic but the path of meditation is about being the ultimate skeptic and removing elements and questioning and things like that and so uh it, it's just a bit strange to me that you have um these particular schools um that could be quite dogmatic and they are um their students and what they're teaching is towards enlightenment when um you know to actually or surely if you were there you would see it in a different very different way to how it's been taught yeah yeah, it's yeah quite
1: interesting. it is really interesting. it's like a it's like everybody has their own things that they have to work through or conditionings that they have to see through, so to speak. So a lot of people assume that like if you're raised as a Buddhist monk or you're within like one of those schools, so to speak, that if if you are a monk, you're gonna be enlightened no matter what. All of them are just super woke, they're super abiding, like super realized, yeah. about non at all times. But um that that dogma that you talk about can really serve as an obstacle for people who are raised within those schools and that's all that they know uh so it, it just seems like everybody has their own obstacles sure, to do it. Eh? And at the, the at like everything has to be dropped even the concepts spirituality is like the programming to release all other programmings but it's still a programming
0: yeah that's so true eh? yeah it's pretty crazy like you know if you're meditating 10 hours a day or so many hours a day you would think you'd be able to make like ridiculously fast progress but i suppose you know their conditionings or the, the way they see it or their attachment um still hinders their progress maybe even more than living a regular life i don't know
1: yeah yeah. And I mean, Frank, like, I I truly see him as, like, a, a fully realized person. And he says he still sits every day just out of habit. But, like, uh, I've had conversations with him and he's, like, like he, uh, or he, he posted something on Instagram at some point in time. He was, like, this process was just me failing at everything. Like, ultimately, he failed at spirituality. He failed as a meditator. He failed at, like, bodybuilding. He failed all at all of these things over and over and over again just to realize that, like, there's really – nothing to fail, but also nothing to succeed at. Um, so in a way, like people can really get attached to this idea of becoming a better meditator. Um, as time passes, I will become better at this. I, I will I will uh, realize certain things and uh, I, yeah, gain a skill set, become a stronger meditator, so to speak. And while there is some like relative truth to that, at the same time it's less about getting somewhere in the future and like sinking deeper into what's here right now um so yeah
0: Mm. do you know why frank still sits i'm curious why does he still do meditation um when i would have thought meditation would be constantly happening for him anyway
1: yeah he says there's no distinction between like sitting and not sitting for him it's just like it happens Like he says he's he, like the way he describes his direct experience at least is that he's in no control like it's just a happening and the character just meditates every morning like out of habit i guess he just instilled the habit so deeply that it's just a part of his ai now or his conditioning or he, the character of frank so to speak um right but yeah, he says he wakes up and he, he, meditates, he probably does like 30 minutes of do nothing every morning but he he sees like he also very explicitly states that like there's no distinction between when he's meditating and when he's not meditating so like just from like the relative perspective like and how we define meditation and sitting and whatnot that's what frank does but right. there's really no difference yeah
0: i guess he's just enjoying sitting there and enjoying the sensations that would be pretty yeah. practical. yeah yeah I had another question, but I totally forgot it. <laughs> yeah, it's gone. Okay. Um. Do you know who Joe Dispenza is or David R. Hawkins? Are you familiar with their work? Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza. Um, well, I know Joe Dispenza, um, actually. On the healing I- side of things.
1: Yeah, I read one of his books, becoming supernatural or superhuman.
0: Or yeah, he's got a few books like that. He's got a lot of books actually, but the, the uh, most of them are very similar, and he just changes the stories. Very story driven, but a lot of it could be helpful for people that are going through disease, um, cancer, um, different illnesses, things like that, different conditions, and that attracts most of his audience, and so he focuses on those. Um, Healing type of meditations, energy center meditations, visualization meditations. Um, uh, David R. Hawkins, um, he wrote the book Letting Go. You might have heard of it. Um, as well as books about, um, another one was called Healing and Recovery, focused on healing using the Letting Go method. And so, for example, there's a story in, um, in Healing and Recovery, Recovery where or was it in Letting Go? I'm not sure. Where David R. Hawking stopped um, using glasses because he managed to heal his eyesight. Um, other people managed to heal different different diseases, different cancers, things like that. Yeah. What's interesting to me is that you've got this healing side of things, but people that focus on, for example, the non-dual side of things don't necessarily get healed Um from their conditions for example yeah. for Dalai lama uh, michael taft they still have glasses right yet they arise they reside in non-dual awareness um so i wanted to know if you had any thoughts about the healing side of things and how you could have two very different perspectives and it's almost like the non-dual people don't care about healing the body anymore because they kind of see that as just another thing um but they could heal if they want to they're just choosing not to um yeah,
1: yeah i find that quite interesting i think um you can be very healed and not very realized and you can be very realized and not very healed yeah but typically they're pretty mutually beneficial like I find taking care of the stuff, like the mental stuff, and uh, having less anxiety and and stuff like that helps clear the mind, so to speak, in a way, so it's easier to pierce through and and cultivate some sort of insights. But I I think if you get too attached to the idea of self-improvement and healing the body and uh, seeing yourself as this individual separate from everything else, then it can also serve as potentially a hindrance at times, but... Frank talks about how, like, uh, this is a very physical process, a lot of meditation through my own experience as well. Like in order for me to progress further in meditation, there's a number of things that naturally just come up, Uh, traumas, uh, anxieties, fears, so on and so forth. And once those things are addressed and confronted, they're behind me and I don't have to worry about them anymore. So it kind of leaves more space to dive deeper into the insights. So I think it's like, i don't know i I don't think healing is necessary like you could be i've heard stories of people that are like awakened enlightened realized whatever you want to call it um but like you know anxiety is still pretty prevalent for them
0: really um, that's fascinating how is that possible
1: it still arises for the character i guess and this is all speculation because i I can't speak for my experience but i'd imagine um this idea of realization is just more about clear a clear seeing of how things are it's not necessarily guaranteeing that you're just going to be blissful and happy all the time so i think if the anxiety arises so to speak somebody just clearly sees that that's what it is and right i right. think it probably allows them to manage and uh deal with that anxiety a little bit better or be more comfortably abiding within it per se but I find it yeah fascinating that just because you abide in this non-dual awareness it doesn't necessarily mean that you're always going to be happy or blissful or that you will never experience anxiety but that's also a big part of this path that that holds people up actually um so in these insight stages the after the dark night stages you you hit this phase of equanimity is what they call it and um from my understanding at least what holds a lot of people back from entering into equanimity is this preference of pleasant versus unpleasant sensations so sensations arise sometimes they're pleasant sometimes they're unpleasant but it's not about always abiding in pleasant sensations it's about just seeing them for what they are clearly seeing through the the nature of experience so to speak so um, for me for example I guess going back to my story like after I had that A&P event um, obviously It led to a lot of questions, and uh, I realized I wasn't necessarily like super happy in my relationship. The job that I had lined up after graduation was not something I really wanted to be doing. Uh, It it opened up and made these like fears or these anxieties or these these feelings a lot more present in my life, and I felt like I had to do something to address them. Um, but during that time of addressing them. So I like broke up with my girlfriend at the time. I quit my job. And then a few months later I dropped out of school and I was reading Daniel Ingram's book, maybe half a year after all that happened. And he was going through the dark night stages and he was like, yeah, when you're in this stage of the progress of insight, you're likely to want to end relationships, um, drop out of school or quit your job. And I was like, okay, well. <laughs> I checked all three of those off. Um, <laughs> and um I think it's because at that point in time, there's just this idea that I should only, I should only be feeling good. I should only do things that are in alignment with me. I should be eating healthy. I should be mindful all the time. All these shoulds about what experience is supposed to be like. Um, So if something isn't pleasant or if I'm not healthy or if I'm not mindful, then that's wrong, so to speak. Eh, and, And I think that was an important thing for me to explore because it led to more realizations and insights after that. But Ultimately, uh, there's this big understanding that um, there are always going to be unpleasant emotions that arise, there's going to be pain, there's going to be happiness, there's going to be sadness, like all of these emotions are temporary. And it's not looking at them as better or worse than another, but really just as whatever's here right now, and fully accepting and surrendering to those things. And I think that's where insight practice gets to. But I think in terms of healing, it just allows for a more pleasant experience, um, which is nice. I mean, I don't mind having a more pleasant experience by any means. Um, But Kenneth Folk even talks about that. He said he struggled with like, I want to say some sort of like mild depression. It might not have even been mild, but depression to some extent and anxiety to some extent, maybe not the anxiety, but I think the depression, I don't know, you'd have to read his book. But a, a lot of unpleasant thoughts like, all the way until full enlightenment for him like even deep into third path he was still dealing with these like mental uh mental stressors illnesses whatever you want to call it and he said that all of that did fade away once he hit fourth path completely which um is specific to him but yeah i I think the healing aspect is more about just like the more you heal the more pleasant your experience becomes but realization isn't about how pleasant your experience is it's about how clearly you can see through that experience
0: from that's pretty interesting eh because you could probably have you could have people that were a lot more healed per se and feeling good good thoughts in their mind great mindset things like that Mm -hmm. but then they're still not seeing through the illusion yeah Um, and then you can have somebody you know massive uh i guess suffering or at least um maybe they're not suffering because of it but um you know a lot of pain is arising in them yeah um, so you could have these sort of two sides of the spectrum and it's almost like uh th- the perfect balance would be finding some middle way where you yeah. you're doing a bit of both and that's going to aid you on the path some healing which is going to put you in a state where you your thoughts and things are in the right place whereby it's easier and um it's, so for example um where this is many years ago but i was having um experiences that were um kind of more depersonalization derealization where i was like i'm kind of tripping out about reality and i was looking into it and the recommendation was actually to focus on heart-based meditation practices sort of meta loving kindness things like that uh and i that's why i think um you know it's important to have a bit of all because for example when you do meta loving kindness it's going to help you when you have that anxiety when you have those negative thoughts to be really kind to yourself to um it's going to help that to heal and so all all parts um have their place and finding that middle way is important yeah
1: and i would um I really like what you said about kind of finding the middle way between the insight practice and the healing aspects of things as well because I will say like I have definitely it feels at least like I've cultivated more insights like I'm closer to abiding in that non-dual state sometimes it feels like I just disappear and there's nobody doing anything um which I guess would be a sign of progress so to speak but what has made this journey a lot easier for me is I think my introduction to spirituality in a lot of ways was through the lens of healing, through the lens of unconditional love, a lot of meta oriented concepts or practices without Mm. me even realizing it. And so I I see and know a lot of people who are very insightful, but maybe they're not as full of compassion or self-love or they're a bit more critical of themselves. And um, it it seems like there's just more pain and or suffering within their experience of their journey. And for me, like, Yeah, when I was going through the dark night, like, especially uh, like dropping out of school, quitting the job, like, I had a lot of people like turn their backs on me in a lot of ways. Uh, A lot of hard conversations were had, a lot of tears were cried. It was definitely a lot of pain going through that experience. But I would say, generally for me, it seems as if I've had a pretty easy, not easy, but like pretty pleasant journey throughout this path compared to. A lot of people and I think I attribute that to the healing uh, unconditional loving like really trying to remove judgments and accepting everything uh, side of the practice um and I think that probably comes from most people at some point or another um but it, it's definitely nice to invest in that at times I feel like it makes it a, a bit easier to go through the whole path and journey that way
0: yeah for sure what I've learned is that every teacher is going to be limited in some way And also, when a teacher arrives to a certain um, level or learn a certain thing, they often forget what it's like to be where you are now, because now they're so far removed from where you are now that often the advice they give you, uh, while there might be some truth to it, there's still some false um, falsities there. And so... Um, that you know you're trying to conceptualize this experience or conceptualize this knowledge and give it to somebody else but really um, you're only giving one small piece of the puzzle it's just an abstraction it's just a little bit of information of you know actually what really did happen which is from the memory of the mind and then you also have um, people coming from different backgrounds of different existing patterns and so uh, what you might need to work on um for example you might have need to work on something uh in particular a lot more because you know that's where your weakness lies but they might not have had that weakness and so because they've never worked on that particular issue a particular thing um they don't you know realize um that other people might need that thing and so uh yeah i guess my recommendation for anyone listening is to try to learn from as many um not as many but as many as you need to uh sources and everyone's going to have a different perspective um everyone's going to have a different view but everybody's also very limited so just be aware of that limitation of the person the human that is talking to you um you know from the words of this limited you know mind and body
1: Yeah, very beautifully said. And I would agree. Like, it's a huge blessing that through the internet, we have access to so many teachers, but it's also a curse at the same time, because there's so many conflicting viewpoints. And uh, it's easy to get confused along this thing. But at the end of the day, like, you already know everything. It's all within. So uh, sometimes it takes a teacher to point that out. Sometimes it doesn't. Uh, But yeah agreed like they're all human everybody's human at the end of the day and everybody's experience and path looks different uh that's why i like documenting my journey though because i don't really feel like a teacher of any of these things so to speak but it's like through documenting the uh, pitfalls that i go through or experiences that i have or whatever it may be like hopefully that can help somebody see that you know if frank documents and i document and other people document that everybody's journey is just so radically different. And uh, certain realizations are come to at different times. And there's no right or wrong way to to walk down this path, so to speak, like it's all unfolding as it's unfolding. And and that's perfect. You don't have to meditate for two hours a day for seven years to get enlightened like Frank did. Um, Some people do it without meditating at all. But it's just different dude uh so i guess embracing i guess the, the individuality and the fact that there is not one singular path for everybody and not one singular teacher or anything like that is uh important to keep in mind for people as well
0: yeah that's so true eh? no i agree i agree I had another thought but I lost it as well <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of nice to
1: lose those sometimes
0: i don't know (laughs) i don't know sometimes it's really annoying yeah um oh yeah base when so you record these videos um and i love your videos by the way oh i remembered Mm -hmm. so it was about it was about experience right we can only really talk about our experiences and i think that's the most important thing to talk about Because we can't really give advice to people. And it's not really useful when you get advice from people either, most of the time. But when you learn from, when you hear an experience, you're like, oh, that's what it was like for them. And so you can learn from that perspective, from their perspective, but it's being presented in a way that's different. It's being presented in a way that's not as direct or um, personal and it also means you can learn what parts you you like what parts you don't like and you see them as oh that's their experience rather than this is a truth this is an authority figure this is something that's coming from more of an ego place yeah
1: yeah yeah this idea of like deconstructing your idols like Frank was this like god in my mind for the longest time. He was and then and eventually... until I heard
0: him on your podcast and a few other guys' podcasts, and I'm like, this guy has no clue what he's talking about.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's just he's just another fucking guy, dude. No different than me or you or anybody yeah. else. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and he's, he's just fun to talk to. I just like now when I approach these things and talk to people about this stuff, it's just like. I just happen to be interested in awakening and non-dual awareness and all of that. But again, like I said earlier, that's no different than being interested in tacos or how to cook. Like, I just like talking about it with people and it really doesn't hold any meaning. Uh, And and I think it's important for people to know that it doesn't really hold any meaning. It's it's just another topic like anything else.
0: Yeah, when you guys talked about that, that really opened my mind up, eh? Because i was like man i'm really like I, some I, it was i used to be so identified with like self-improvement like this thing is important this is a waste of time this is not worth talking about this is worth talking about you know i'm better yeah. in like subtle ways because i have interests that are better than other things and you, now now i'm more like actually like i would just talk about like not even talk about self-improvement with people like yeah or like anything like that like if it's if it's interesting yeah i'm happy to talk about it but uh, like off, often it it's just better not to talk about it but just talk about anything you know yeah it's like so fascinating yeah.
1: for the longest time there was like this idea that certain thoughts were better than other thoughts so it was like I was trying to reprogram my thought processes in the mind to think about awakening and contemplating like doing self-inquiry and all that stuff Um, and, and of course like Yeah, there's a relevance to practice. Like all these people who talk about non-real awareness, they've meditated, they've done self-inquiry, they've done these things. But just because people have done that, or I mean, I've done a a fair bit of it myself, that doesn't mean that thoughts about self-inquiry are any better or worse than thoughts about like, oh, I need to take a shit, you know? Like it's the same thing, ultimately. Uh, They're just thoughts that arise. And it's the content that somebody ascribes to them that, the the more i guess somebody becomes identified in the content and the story behind it the more dangerous it becomes but for the longest time i was like judging my thoughts almost like oh these are the wrong thoughts to be having an enlightened person wouldn't think these things an enlightened person wouldn't do these things so to speak um and i I think removing the judge and removing the preference over that is is a very important step
0: especially after recent years because now we don't have as many like idols like buddhist idol figures that you know, we sit and watch and hear them speak. Um, you know, it's more like just random people on the internet, and you're like, "How the hell does that happen?" Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, although it's, uh... I think um, there's a caveat I would add there with um, so while well, yes, there is no better thought, no worse thought, um, it's all, all fine. It doesn't mean that some thoughts might not be more useful in certain situations for certain outcomes in the, in this physical world. Um, yes. Because yeah. I think that's a caveat. Like there's a lot of caveats people get into where they're like, Oh, everything's fine. I don't have to do anything. Everything's like perfect, blah, blah, blah. But it you yeah. kind of lose sense of being practical in this physical world because you've actually yes. tricked yourself with a particular mindset, which is also an illusion that mindset's making you uh be lazy to put it simply or to not live your yep. best life or um, it's just really trapping you so i think that's another trap that can come as well um yeah
1: yeah actually that was like the the bulk of the my dark night phase or whatever you want to call it is there is this I guess it was learning to really like trust the world in a lot of ways, but it was like, Oh, I don't need to do anything. Like money will come. The universe will take care of me. I don't need to go to school. I don't need to go to class. I don't need to get a job. I don't need to do anything because it's all just fine. And I was like, in a way, like I I was also eating healthy and working out every day. And I think I was sitting for an hour every day as well. So I was being quite productive, so to speak, but it was a very skewed perception. Like just because there's an understanding that the relative is empty um, and that from the absolute perspective, none of it matters. And it's all story and whatnot that doesn't take away from the fact that like, if you sit on your bed all day and don't do anything and don't eat or don't drink or don't take care of yourself, you're going to die. Like, or that if you don't show up to work, you'll get fired. Or that you could end up homeless if you don't do these practical things in life. And sure. Like a mindset that I had at that point in time too, was like, well so what if i become homeless it, it it just is what it is and i think that's a fine perspective to have as well but there there's definitely needs to be an understanding of the practicality behind thoughts and uh how they can evolve and how they do make changes and differences in this physical world like life will always go on and that needs to be addressed and taken care of and maintained um mm-hmm. So yeah, I I appreciate your caveat there as well because that's a common uh, hole that a lot of people fall into, myself included.
0: Yeah, like everything's fine, and you can accept that everything's fine, and um, be have a warm heart focused openness for whatever might happen to you, but at the same time there are still things you're going to prefer and things you won't prefer, right? You have food that you prefer to eat and food that you don't prefer to eat things that you want to do in life, things you don't want to do in life and you can still do those things. (laughs) So I think that's important to, to realize because we can get so focused on, Oh, well the internal world is all that matters now and the external world is just this illusion. So, um, i'm going to disregard everything yeah but i I love how you put that
1: yeah like like resistance to resistance is still resistance ultimately like if there's a desire that arises to look at it and be like oh shit i'm desiring something that's bad like that just incites a desire not to desire anything which is still a desire so it's like accept whatever arises. Like if you want to eat some junk food, eat some junk food. If you don't want to meditate that day, don't meditate that day. Like just be aware of how it affects the character and experience. And as long as there's just like this mindful eye towards what's happening right now as frequently as possible, I feel like that just carries the way for most people.
0: Yeah, it's like about eradicating suffering. But at the same time, you you still are a human being operating in this mind and body. You still have flaws. Yep. Uh, Shin Jin Young gave a really cool story, actually. After he became enlightened, he still had procrastination problems. And he <laughs> actually had to go to regular therapy to help him solve this, including other behavioral problems. When I heard this, I was like, no way. Like an enlightened dude is going to regular therapy. But yeah. <laughs> no, it, it happens. There's another story where he was teaching people and there were a few things that he wasn't doing quite right i don't know if it was moralistically or in his teaching method or something but um he gave the story where you know there's a few things he wasn't doing right and he actually had to have two to three um like high level dharma teachers um actually pull him aside and say have a one-on-one chat with him and say hey what you're doing here isn't isn't quite right you need to change your approach you need to treating people in a different way yeah and so he, he had to people learn from people it. Dude. and people yeah. right people you know yeah just because he's this enlightened master doesn't mean we, we can put, we have to put him on a pedestal actually putting him on that pedestal I'm I'm guessing in the past there's been many enlightened people that have um you know you hear about these abuse stories from these gurus I don't know if they're awake or not perhaps some of them are perhaps some of them aren't yeah. um but you know you hear all these stories right but a lot of it's that cultish vibe and that can happen right even with an awake teacher that can happen
1: yeah yeah and I think that's actually really important to note because I think there's this huge conception around this idea of awakening or enlightenment that once it hits you just become this perfect person and everything's yeah. amazing and lovely and life's just so easy and and it's like Like you're still a person, and like like nothing changes in the perspective that um, it's always been this way. You hear non-dual teachers talk about like that, uh, talk about that. Like there's never been an ego, so all the shit that's been happening previously is going to continue to happen. Like your character might change. Like Frank talks about how he's quite different now than he was pre-enlightenment and all those things, but like. There's still a a sameness to it, I guess, because it's always been this way. So all all these things about life and morality, I think that's why it's really nice that like the Theravada tradition talks about the three different trainings. So like Daniel Ingram describes morality as the first and last training because it's like you can be fully awakened and not have a lot of morality. It just typically helps along the process to have more morality because your mind is more clear of those, uh, I guess, intrusive thoughts, so to speak, or identification with the stories of stuff. But he mentions that you can't maximize morality. Like it's commonly accepted, you can never have too much concentration or too much morality. So, in that sense, like people will always be people, no matter how realized they are or unrealized they are, you can always work on your morality. Um, and and that's, that's very important to distinguish with.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, a bit of a more personal question: How have your friendships changed after, um, the spiritual oh. path or meditation path? Because for me, I actually lost a number of um friends that were spiritual as well, following different spiritual paths, but mm-hmm. also had a lot of darkness, a lot of personal darkness, resulted yeah. in conflicts and codependence and things like that. Um, yeah, and then I've had friends that were very business orientated and as I went in the meditation path, it's like he just became naturally more uh, repulsed or p- pushed away, Um, no fault to either of us. It just kind of happened. And then I met up with him like a month or two ago Um, after about half a year. And um, it was interesting because I was talking to him, he used to be really into like letting go and meditation and things like that. And he told me, I just don't believe in any of this anymore. I don't believe yeah. believed in all that he was like really cut off to it. And he was telling me, you know, this is the best I've ever felt. I feel the most free in my life. But when I looked at him, he seemed the most anxious that I've ever seen him. Um oh, interesting. So that was an another sort of um I guess experience that I had, had a few more experiences where um because I was back in New Zealand and I met some other friends and they seemed um yeah very very trapped a lot of suffering things like that and i don't know if they had that before or now i'm just really aware of it because i'm so focused yeah. on suffering but i can really see a lot of suffering in people now and um yeah, yeah.
1: Me as well i think the dark night especially for me that period of time whatever you want to call it like That filled me with so much compassion for people because through suffering so deeply myself, I just started seeing it so clearly and all other people, and that's never left. Um, And I guess to answer your question more directly, my friendships that I have in my life right now and all the relationships, especially the family, like they're the best they've ever been. Um, So especially family I haven't lost any family relationships which has been quite wonderful those have all improved but I will say like when I dropped out of school my focus was making progress and awakening uh, but then also strengthening my relationships with family because I would notice that so much of the stuff that came up when I was meditating that would kind of hinder me from uh, making progress would just be or that I'd get like so caught up in where about perceptions of family members or things about family members resentments judgments whatever it may be so i made a really big effort to um be more accepting of myself but also be like unconditionally loving and more accepting to all of my family members as well so a lot of work has been put into strengthen those relationships but yeah a lot of people like dude a lot of people just think i'm a crazy guy now like a lot of judgment towards me don't talk to me anymore i've lost a number of people no way yeah but it's
0: like have you lost it because you speak about non-duality to them or have they just found your youtube channel and it's because of that or yeah where is it coming um, from just curious
1: i think there was a lot of interesting looking posts during that uh dark night time that i had on like my instagram and that i was putting on my story and all these other things and i mean naturally like i'm pretty open about whatever i don't see social media as like me sharing things with other people it's more like me documenting my thoughts like it's kind of like uploading past versions of myself so i don't have to think about
0: it anymore it's really good for so, something like fears about people too because you start to see because yes. you feel, see people as very separate to you and so like just yeah. recording a quick video and putting it on your instagram where people can see in your past like i notice i feel a lot more attachment to people from my university days from my high school days um than people i meet now And a lot of it's coming from that, like, past social fears that I used to have, like, desire for approval, control, security, Mm -hmm. safety, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so actually posting it um, can be, like, actually quite really helpful.
1: Yeah, it's really freeing. Like, posting so often on social media, and especially about more abstract not socially accepted things, has made me realize that nobody gives a shit. Like, and that's really nice and freeing to think that, like, I don't know. I used to think people thought about me way more than they probably do. Um, so that that's been good. And honestly, dude, like there's a transition period in a very like story oriented, like a uh, conversation right here. Um, the people, the types of people that were following me before I started my journey, so to speak, um, obviously very ego identified, not the spirituality, because those were the types of people that I got along with before I was ever into spirituality. But getting deeper into it and posting more on the youtube and instagram and whatnot it attracts those types of people like how we found each other through social media and now we're like i consider you a good friend now like we've had a wonderful conversation <laughs> and we'll probably keep up after this and that's great um so the longer that i i guess operate from that space of like not even talking about spirituality and non-duality but just being an unconditionally loving person, it attracts other people that are like that or striving to be somebody who's unconditionally loving. Uh, and so I meet a lot of cool people now. So I guess the the worst part of it's over because when I started talking about all that stuff, nobody that followed me was interested or into it at all. And now it's like, I get new followers every day on different social media platforms and it's because of this stuff that I talk about. So, uh, there's like a relatability and an understanding in a lot of ways. And, uh, to, to these people but I guess back to to your initial question again yeah like I I also realized that when people turn their backs on me or, or showed any judgment it's just a projection of something internal and that it had nothing to do with me so because of that I, I don't have any beef with anybody like I can truly say that um like I hold the space of love for everybody dude like every human every being every like I'm so full of love and just like want everybody to be happy so I don't take it personally at all. Um, And when I did, and if I do at times, so to speak, like, I'm never angry at anybody else. There's just a bit of a sadness, like, oh, but people are judging me. Why? Like I'm so innocent and pure hearted and just want their happiness. Why are they so upset with me just trying to be a happy person? But it's never, oh, I'm so angry at that person. They deserved a rotten hell, yada, yada, yada. It's just, I understand where they're coming from. Uh, there's a big understanding to to how they can perceive me in a certain way, I guess.
0: Yeah, for sure. Like when that judgment comes up and um, yeah, to add to that, you can recognize that it's not your issue, right? But at the same time, another thing to add there is you can let go of resisting their judgment, allow the judgment because we really resist the judgment. We're like, no, I don't want to be judged. I don't don't want to be attacked and that's adding all this resistance but something to inspect um is if you feel like the judging mind is really painful uh, and it can mm-hmm. be really painful for a lot of us um is to allow that pain allow that judgment and let yes. go of trying to resist um, that judgment onto you
1: yeah i would Most say of up that that the judgment. Ink pitfall, yeah A big pitfall that I fell into actually very related to this is after that AMP experience up until I'd say probably the the next seven or so months after that before I actually made the decision to break up with my ex-girlfriend and uh, quit my job and whatnot is that I had kind of gone past all of this ideas of like personal problems and feelings and whatnot it was all in the head it was just like oh well, everything's here and it's perfect. So I'm just going to abide in this ignorant, like uh, bliss, blissfulness that that I'm in and just completely disregard any of these like sadness or anxieties or whatever, because it's perfect. It's right here. This world is lovely. Like I, I understand that. Um, and it wasn't so I started reading The Power of Now where he started talking about exercises of like, feel the body, feel all the emotions within it. And that's when a lot of stuff started coming up. Um, so to your point, like, a lot of that judgment that I received at that point in time in my life was very crippling. Like it was excruciatingly painful. I was crying very often. I was, um, I I stayed positive throughout the whole time. Like there was no part of me that was like, uh, I don't know. It was interesting. I was very accepting towards myself and all the feelings that I was feeling. I was not harsh on me at any point in time, but that doesn't take away from the fact that it was very painful and there was a lot of sadness and, uh, confusion and hopelessness and being lost like I want to emphasize that I very much so felt all of those emotions very deeply but that was necessary in order to progress in a lot of ways Um, so don't don't think you're further ahead than you are and don't think that like oh well I know that because they're projecting that it has nothing to do with me of course you can yeah. know that but that doesn't take away from the fact that it still hurts sometimes that you can still take it personally for sure and that's not wrong at all like and and it gives like honestly it, that when that arises that's the thing that needs to be addressed so it's making it more obvious so it's really a blessing in disguise in a lot of
0: ways earlier on my path because I'm such a mind operated person I used to do all this mental gymnastics to rationalize all these different things and took me yeah. a long time to realize it's just mental gymnastics especially because yeah. you follow you can follow so many like spirituality people on youtube and they're telling you all these different ideas and you're just like internalizing all these ideas and then you're just doing heaps yeah. of mental gymnastics just to make yourself like feel feel good <laughs> just yeah. to hide from the um from the thing yeah yeah precisely
1: well said i i would say too that um very active mind for me. Like, I didn't realize that until I started talking to more people, and they're especially within like more spiritual circles and whatnot. They're like, Your mind is so active. Really? And it is. It's true. Like, yeah. And that's fine. Like, uh, I, well, this is an interesting statement to make, but in a way I kind of enjoy it because it gives me the ability to like really uh, think through and articulate these things to people like spirituality or eco transcendence or or not. Like just the fact that I can sit down, have a conversation with somebody and really clearly articulate, like, this is what you're feeling. Potentially try this because when I was feeling a similar way, this is what helped me. This is the technique that I used, yada, yada, yada. And people tell me that I make a very like positive impact by the way that I explain things. And I think if I wasn't so mentally active that I wouldn't be able to articulate things as well. Uh, So again, I'm saying this with an understanding that like an identification with the mind and like the character and all of these things can be detrimental, but that doesn't change the fact that the mind has been very active my whole life. Uh, And I, I guess understanding that now it's not as active as it used to be for sure um but it, it, why not embrace it if that's a part of experience right uh yeah. rather than trying to run away from it or, or resist it or be be so agitated by the fact that the mind is so active it's like yeah i just see it as an opportunity that's like oh if my mind's more active that allows me to direct attention towards it and investigate the nature of it more often
0: yeah, i'm very similar to you in that regard eh? my mind's very active um one thing that I've been working on recently and it's probably one of the things I need to work on the most actually is my throat chakra because it's very blocked. Mm-hmm. So I have- Me too, bro. No way. I thought your throat chakra is amazing. <laughs> Dude, that's crazy, bro. Like, okay, so- My mind kind of, my, Fred kind of keep up with my mind. Like I have thoughts and I can- I really struggle to put them into words. Like I really struggle. Like I have something I want to say and I'm like, how do I say it? That's one Mm. of the reasons I do podcasts now um, is because I want to talk to people more and have these conversations and and improve this area. I guess that's why you make videos too. But for me, for example, there can be times where it feels like if I tap into this energy, if I focus my awareness over here, it kind of feels like there's like a hand or like pressure or like choking here. And it feels like it's really blocked and it feels like it's hard to speak and communicate.
1: Dude, That's so hilarious. So uh, I I guess um, for context, in my relationship that I was in, it was very hard for me to articulate how I felt because there was a pattern that every time that it happened, um, it would only end up worse for the relationship. So like, oh, I feel like I should be able to have friends that are girls. So let me express this because I think that's reasonable. If I'm not like I'm, I'm not attracted to them, it's just nice to have friends, you know? And so then I would say something like that. And maybe the response was something along the lines of like, oh, so you just want to hang around other girls because I'm not enough for you or something like that. Right. And so it's like with multiple different examples that was happening. So I just repressed like all of my feelings about things because I was just under the assumption that it would make things worse. Obviously not a recommended communication style in any way, shape or form, but um. I noticed something was pretty intense when I was going through that dark night period. And as I was meditating, I always noticed some sort of blockage like right in my throat. Like you said, as if there was a hand grabbing it, there'd be times where I'd literally be gagging in the middle of meditation I, 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 yeah. like that over and over and over again, like tears running down my face because of how uncomfortable it was. Um, but it, it's been yeah very big focus of mine ever since I was aware of that and I guess the implications that the relationship had on me that I want to communicate much better it it was less about the inability to communicate it but having a fear as to how it would be received by other people so if I'm alone by myself or talking in a space that I feel comfortable in I can articulate very well speak as freely as I'd like um but it was a fear of how other people perceive it in a way so getting past that I think was blocking a lot here um but that's just so crazy you mentioned that dude a lot of a lot of similarities on my end as well
0: yeah for sure I actually I was thinking about it recently um I think a lot of people have that issue they just don't realize it because I think a lot of people like I thought it was really my issue and I think it it is an issue that pertains a lot more to me than um other people I can- I would say it was a lot worse before um but I was just I was just talking to people for example um two days ago and I noticed their throat um also had the same kind of type of quality to it like when they were conversing it just wasn't coming out fluidly and yeah. if I think about it I think it's like actually really common it's just not really realized yeah Especially yeah. if you get Absolutely. triggered by some insecurity or something or uh, mm. something like that. For example, I was at a, um, was a business conference and it was really cool. Actually, I learned a lot of things. But at the same time, going to one of these conferences, I noticed the energy in the room was actually kind of a triggered energy. Some of it was probably coming from me. But basically, yeah. when you're seeing people that are really successful talk to you about they've done this and that. And, you know, this is a business, this is how to buy businesses. This is how to do whatever. I listened to David, David Goggins was there too. You might know David Goggins.
1: Oh, cool. Um, Of course. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I noticed people were kind of getting a bit triggered because they feel like they aren't achieving um, as much as they could in their life. And so you feel that sort of unhappy energy in the room which was fascinating. But I think when you get triggered like that or anything like that, your throat actually starts to block as well.
1: Yeah. So I I notice uh, a lot of people, just the way that their voice sounds, how they speak and the actual like sound of their voice. I've noticed that with myself, it's changed so much. Um, I mean, even obviously voices change in terms of how you inflect and whatnot. But typically as I've moved along this path and I guess healed more, my voice is much smoother, much calmer, um, much more fluid. And I, I hear a lot of people and they talk and it's almost as if they have something like stuck in their throat. And I, I can only imagine that that's just uh, some sort of energetic, almost like blockage. yeah. It's weird. I never talk about energy or anything like that either. Because to me, like, again, from the ultimate level, it's just like
0: story. It's just. Uh, but it doesn't mean it, it doesn't exist, even. right? that's the thing right. though like yeah. people say it's a story but these are keys this exists yeah. in this physical <laughs> yeah. dimension now energy yeah. I, we could probably we can measure it using energy measuring things like electromagnetic yeah. stuff so it doesn't mean it doesn't exist i think right. I, I, yeah but it, yeah. it's it not necessarily is... helpful to be identified with its existence
1: yeah 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 exactly like of course Back to what we were talking about earlier, like being so careful about the words that people use and all these other things, like the appearance of story and past and future and all these things are still there. Like, like you said, like this is this is a water bottle, dude, <laughs> you know, like, so, um, yeah, I, I think through talking about that, sometimes it's nice to point out, like, yeah, this is a story that we're talking about. It doesn't take away from the fact that it still appears to be there, but like, take it with a grain of salt as I talk about this. Thing.
0: Oh, right, right. Um,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. But Yeah, I I do notice that within myself as I've healed more. It's like, I like I very much enjoy my voice now and how it comes off and people compliment it often and that never happened before. Um, But I do speak very differently in the way that I just sound when I speak is so different than, than previously. But because of that, I notice when people get very anxious or when they're passionate about something or... Uh, it, it's very interesting to dissect and understand characters just simply off of how they appear and how they present themselves and the sounds they make and how they speak and all, all of these things there's a lot of things you can tell about people just through observing sure. little,
0: yeah yeah. like i feel like now i can perceive a lot more in people and i can relate it to the energy or how the energy might be blocked in different centers or different areas yeah. like I'm, oh wow i can see how this thing you know it's a really cool perspective to have actually and it's interesting how you, you've got this energy type of map but most of the world is focused on for example body language focused on reading yeah. these external things and yeah. i feel like it's kind of limited right like for example body language a body language guy on youtube or body language coach might be like yeah stand up straight with your shoulders back blah 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 but none of that actually matters like if your energy is in the right places you'll naturally start to stand that way anyway you'll naturally feel confident you'll naturally be able to express yourself so if the energy is flowing even if you're hunched over you'd still feel that same amount of like presence or confidence or whatever you're trying to achieve by like standing up straight
1: yep yeah that's that is a, that's a really a good point, dude. Like so many people listen to other people about how they should be being rather than just being and observing how being feels. And naturally through the observation of your own being, all those things start to change. Like I walk around very confidently now, like, you know, good posture. Um, I'm not afraid to make eye contact. Like, especially when I speak to people, I'm very engaged and involved in there and there's, there's such little conditioning that 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 has any fear in any way. Like I would love talking to people now, and there's no social anxiety, or if there is, it's very little now. Um, but it's not because I was listening on. Oh, this is what I should do to talk to people. I need to stand up straight, and I need to cross my arms and stand in power position, and all these things. It's just I'm feeling out life through my own direct experience, and those things naturally just start to happen.
0: Yeah, that's actually a really good. Um, so. so... Um, metric of or indicator that you might be making progress if if your eye contact is improving because when you feel fearful in the body you don't want to make eye contact with people and notice that if you go through a dark period and then you start walking around the street because i I walk a lot in the street and i look at people and um your eye contact is going to be very different. And so actually you can see fear in other people based on their eye contact as well on the street or wherever you are in a social situation. And so I would say from the third eye sort of area, um, increasing your awareness is a metric of progress from a a solar plexus chakra self-esteem point of view and a root chakra grounded point of view. Eye contact is a really good metric of progress. From a, from a communication standpoint, are the thoughts in your mind arising? Are they kinder? Are they more honest? And then are you more honest in you're speaking to other people? That's a more yeah. throat-based indicator of progress. Now, let's look at heart. Heart would be kindness to yourself, kindness to other people, love for beings. Uh, that would be a cool indicator of uh, progress. i don't really know about sacral i guess creativity and stuff like that like if you're creative
1: yeah yeah Yeah. as you say those things i've never really gotten into chakras or anything like that but i have noticed like since before i got on this path to now like my creativity is so much better i'm much more grounded Uh, similarly being on a college campus it's lovely because i walk through the campus multiple times a day and there's just so many people to look at so many people that I cross and I'd love making eye contact with people. Uh Sometimes I don't like, sometimes I'm very focused on, okay, there's nobody, nothing else here. I'm just going to stare at the sidewalk and like do some, it just feels like some sort of practice of, uh, of sorts, but people are so afraid to make eye contact.
0: They are, um, yeah. They're so
1: awkward about it. Or if they do make it, it's like a quick glimpse and then they take it away afterwards. Like very infrequently. Do I hold eye contact with somebody or even like I'm very smiley and I like just sharing a smile. So if you make eye contact, which share a presence of warmth and love or whatever. You make them feel seen, but not in a creepy way, just in like a loving way. Um, and people very infrequently do I make eye contact with somebody and we both smile at each other. Um, and I just find that very interesting. But yeah, like to, to what you said, my, I'm much more creative, much more grounded I speak more openly, I make more eye contact, I'm more confident. And while these are things that all have to do with the physical character and the physical body, I think they naturally manifest as a result of progress in terms of yeah. seeing things as they are. There's less fear there. There's just what's here and that's beautiful. There's a, there's a lot more love and compassion held for everything within the space. Like a, an insight recently has been like, the only reason that things in this world exist to me are because there's a a center here that opens all of that up. So the only reason you exist to me is because I'm here projecting that existence onto reality. So everything is coming from me in a way. Um, So why not accept all of it? It's all kind of like my creation in, in a sense but not being so tied to like the owner of that creation, but just this idea that like experience only presents itself because there's this uh, centerless, but also the the centerless center that's here, like projecting all of it there. Mm -hmm. So why not accept all of it? Because it's coming from me. Anything I don't accept from it is a part of me that I'm not accepting in a way.
0: Yeah. I love the thing you talked about before with looking at people smiling that's all about connecting with people. We have all these opportunities in our lives to connect with people and just walking on the street. And if you're feeling good in your body and you can look at them, you can send out energy out from your heart, from your eyes, from your, you know, however is um beautiful. In fact, so you can, you know how you can feel other people's energies, right? Like in a, in a room, you might feel the energy. Um it was it wasn't until recently that I realized what, that the throat is another form of energy. It's directing out energy but in audible sounds and verbal communication. And so if somebody yeah. might not feel your physical energy, it's still a beautiful thing to give your oral energy, your throat energy. Yeah. That's just another form of energy transference same as your eyes might have that joy in them. And if you look at somebody else and there's that transference of energy, whether it's they can feel that or whether it's just your smile that they can see visibly if they're not so yeah. sensitive to the energy or the presence. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. Along uh, similar lines, um, I've noticed like especially meeting new people now so like people that I've known before that I did know before it's a bit more challenging for them I guess to see me where I'm at because they have this narrative or this perception of the story of me for like who I previously was
0: Mm.
1: so on and so forth so I think a lot of people um, that I ended up uh, I'm not as close with now as I used to be that turned their back on me I was like kind of a mean guy when I was in high school in a lot of ways And I think them seeing such a radical shift in terms of like, oh, he's actually like only says kind things and doesn't really rag on anybody anymore. They almost see it as fake. Like there's no way he made such a 360 change uh, in a lot of ways. But people who meet me now. It's crazy how receptive they are to like the positivity and the love that I give off because it is very genuine. Like I feel more loving now than I ever had previously I feel more accepting now than I ever had previously there's less triggers like dude, like obese people used to trigger me so hard bro because it was such like a conditioning of mine that we should be healthy and we should be like active and we shouldn't like it's bad to be unhealthy and all these things and now when I see somebody who's more overweight like very very rarely do I ever get triggered by it it's always just like oh it's a beautiful person and that's all that it is but now i find myself um do you follow me on instagram or no
0: no i didn't know you had an instagram what is your instagram okay
1: it's just my joe underscore nimjack but a lot of my instagram is uh i, I love filming
0: people now it's like one of my favorite things to do because i, I just think they're so Oh, beautiful. the frank yang style yeah 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 very I mean, similar how, do, how do you about go about doing that was actually that's something i want to start doing
1: yeah uh i started with people that i was more close with and just like putting the camera in their face and building comfortability with that and then that kind of builds the courage i guess to do it more frequently with people but then also i've just built the reputation of like i'm the guy that films people (laughs) you know (laughs) like so people don't really question it but and then once you've built up i guess like a a camera roll full of it or if it's on my instagram then it's like oh this isn't weird that this guy is doing it to me because he does it to everybody but it's also just a feeling out of it. Like for whatever reason, there's more of a confidence, more of an openness. And it's coming from a place of like, this person's beautiful. So I'm going to film them and being a beautiful person. And I think when you come from that place, people pick up on that. But um, all that to say so frequently now, I'll be filming somebody and they're aware of the fact that I'm filming them. And I I just say something like, you're such a beautiful person. Or you have such a beautiful face or you that's such a beautiful expression. And um, people are so receptive to it. They really feel how genuine it is, but it has to be genuine or else they won't pick up on it. But I, I think that authenticity, that smiling, not because I want something out of you, but because I'm just full of, of love and I, I want to share it with people, Um they pick up on that rather than oh i'm going to go to this girl and talk to her because i think she's hot and i, I want to fuck her or some, something like that right it's just like oh you're a beautiful person and i want to let you know you're beautiful no expectation for you to do anything in return and i think when you really come from that place of genuine love and non expectation um you can get away with a lot more than most people are able to because people feel that
0: yeah for sure so um so i know, i think frank just Takes the camera and goes up to people, right? He doesn't even yeah. ask. He doesn't even ask people, "Hey, can I take no. a photo? Can I have an interview with you?" He just does. He just yeah, walk he walks up thing. the camera. Yeah. And you do the I, same I, thing. i started
1: doing the same. Bro. Yeah, it's so much fun.
0: So, where would you, you can do? Would you do that on the street or just for random people on the beach?
1: On the street, I mean, college is full of just random people, right? So, like, uh yeah and it's really uncomfortable like it forces me out of my comfort zone a lot because i'm so scared to go do it Man, gonna start times, doing I'm saying. <laughs> yeah it's a really good exercise bro to be honest with you um like here let me pull up something real quick um because Man, that's know, such a sp- cool idea i don't need yeah never mind i'm not gonna pull it up but like yeah they're just absolute random people i'll go up with and like put it right in their face and i think it's like I'm smiling too. Like I'm coming up with such like enthusiastic, happy, warm yeah. energy, so to speak. Would say uh, yeah. people, really feel yeah. Up on
0: that. yeah, yeah. How do they? How do they react? Have you ever had bad reactions or have people been uncomfortable? What if? What's the first thing they would say as well when you? Uh, up?
1: Yeah, some people are just confused. They're like, "Why are you?" But I think that that confused expression is so beautiful too. It's like there's no wrong expression. It's so it's so raw because it's so sudden and people just, they weren't expecting it at all. Like nobody just gets a random camera put in their face. So some people have no idea what to do. Some people just freeze. Some people um, get kind of defensive almost. Some people smile, some people embrace it. Um, but there is very quickly like a an initial shock and reaction. And then after that, they're just like, oh, like you're doing this then. I don't know. It's like there's never. I've, nobody's ever had a problem with me doing it ever,
0: which is weird. It's awesome. That's beautiful. Anyway, yeah. let's wrap and, up the podcast because I gotta get back to work.
1: Sounds <laughs> good, bro. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Thank you for having me on the podcast, dude.
0: Thanks for coming on. I had a blast. This has been such a good conversation.
1: Yeah, it's been great. I've
0: learned a lot as well, eh? Yeah, thank you. Is there any social medias that you want to tell people about? I can put them in the description below. Um,
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Just my YouTube and my Instagram. So uh, on my YouTube, I actually, so I'm doing an independent study at school for integrating mindfulness into the curriculum. And part of my homework is uh, meditating every day and uploading a video blog or reflection of it. So that'll be the majority of my YouTube uh, starting next week sometime. And then I want to layer over the clips of people that I, I film. Uh, so yeah. follow my YouTube if that seems interesting. Uh, there's a cool community there, people who comment on the videos and are nice. are interested in this kind of stuff. And then my Instagram as well, um,
0: just Joe underscore. Awesome. Do you still have a blog? Or is that a private blog?
1: Yeah, I do have a a website uh I guess joanimchak and you can check out some of my blog posts there. I'm not as active on that, but there's some there's some fun stuff to read if you want to read. Nice,
0: nice. Yeah, I'll send you my blog as well. You might like it. Sure, it's a sure. lot of story. Yeah, I'd love to. Read so it. maybe you wouldn't. I don't know.
1: I I, I feel I would. I, I enjoy the story aspects of things. I just see it for what it is. But yeah, that's part of connecting with people is really getting to know about them and their story and whatnot.